This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition with Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Weekends with Walshy starts now. Yes, why, hello there. This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition, otherwise known as Weekends with Walshy. My name is Peter Gowers. I hope you're well. Thanks for joining us. Let's get to the NT Independent online newspaper now and chat with my special guest for this episode, Mr. Christopher Walsh, the editor. G'day, Chris. Hey, Pete. Good to see you again. Good to see you too. Have you had a good week, mate? (laughs) I've had a very busy week without much sleep. Uh, And it's going to continue, I think, here. You know, it's Thursday night now, but um, Friday is lining up to be a very busy day indeed, including uh, I'm going to be on ABC Radio uh, tomorrow morning. Uh Yeah. So that should be fun. Okay. No, as if I can yeah, plug okay. it and by the time people hear this, it'll already have happened. But uh, just got to uh, clarify some things that were said today on ABC that uh, uh, weren't entirely accurate. Uh, so um, mm-hmm. I gave him a call and said, look, I, I'm happy to come on and talk about the process, how I do things. And um, yep. yeah, and look, I'm happy to be grilled by anybody too about what I do and how I do it. Because, you know, nice. you know, that's what this this kind of podcast is all about, Pete. Like, I always like doing that so yep. we can talk about behind the scenes, how we get stories, all that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, yeah. I'm not – there's no secrets here. I don't know, you know, I'm pretty upfront and open about everything. It's a bit of old-fashioned hard work, I believe, Chris. <laughs> that's, that's it, man. Yeah, that's my wife and daughter who didn't get to see me at dinner yeah. any, time, any day this yeah, week. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, but um, just to be really clear, I'm not happy to be grilled, so don't call me, call Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Joking. All right, Chris, let's get into it. We've got some breaking news. Now, by the time this episode gets uh, played on Saturday morning, of course, it will have been uh, all over the headlines. But uh, for for the time of recording, this is breaking news, and that is to do with a COP MLA who's facing charges in connection to an Adelaide car crash that happened last year. Yeah, Pete, this is, uh, yeah, like you said, breaking here just now on Thursday evening. Uh, yeah, we, we, we know some of the details around it. I mean, you know, the, even the CLP, they haven't given us much. But, uh, you know, hats off to ABC journalist uh, Miles Holbrook-Walk. He, uh, he broke this story tonight. Uh, it, w- it was kind of different the way they've done it. Uh, it was kind of just kind of briefly mentioned on the television bulletin, enough so that my phone lit up tonight with <laughs> people saying, oh, my God, wow. oh, my God. And, uh, yeah, getting calls from some sources with information about that. So we felt pretty comfortable reporting on it. But, of course, yeah, but like I said, Miles Holbrook walked did the work on this and um, found out about these charges now that are in South Australia uh, against CLP MLA Josh Burgoyne. Now, uh, mm. this seems to be, well, we know that it, it, it's connected to a, uh, well, it's a, it's a dangerous driving charge, which is pretty serious stuff. Uh, after yeah. he crashed into a vehicle in Adelaide last August, uh, which was not made public until Thursday evening. And that was, uh, uh, yeah, by the ABC quickly on their bulletin and then but it, yeah like we're saying here it's unclear why the party and mr burgoyne did not make the crash and charges public until that abc journalist miles uh, started asking questions about it late this week 
this is where you get into people, like we've said on here before, the cover-ups worse than the crime sometimes. Uh, now, on this one, this, the, the, the SA police felt that there was a crime committed and that that crime was allegedly committed by the MLA, Josh Burgoyne when he was in Adelaide last August. So uh, the CLP did confirm in a statement late Thursday night that the incident happened, but they would not comment on the charges, which the NT Independent understands includes dangerous driving and at least one other charge. Sources said the incident involved uh, Mr. Burgoyne failing to stop at an intersection and crashing into another vehicle, but uh, we didn't have details on if the occupants of the other vehicle were injured or the extent of any injury suffered by anyone in his car or the other car. Uh, yeah, so the statement said uh, the member for Breitling was involved in a traffic accident in August 2023. The CLP <laughs> said, of course, it's an accident, which always implies it's nobody's fault, right? That's really, like one of the things yeah. you learn in journalism is don't call it an accident. That implies nobody's at fault. If there's charges late, it's a crash. So, um, and, tra and traffic means there was just random cars everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he, look, he's currently going through the usual and proper process, they said. Uh, make of that what you will. Uh, the, mem the courts? Yeah, exactly. Charge of police, courts, law and order. Yeah, we know how this works. <laughs> uh, the member for Breitling has cooperated fully with traffic police. It was the end of their statement. Uh, now, Burgoyne's matter, we understand, is listed for mention in Adelaide on March 4th. Uh, as we know, Josh Burgoyne, uh, kind of um, a young upstart in the CLP brand there, uh, toted by many mm -hmm. to be future chief minister material. Uh, so this is, um, you know, interesting here. And he, he's been outspoken about crime issues plaguing Alice Springs and uh, is mm -hmm. up fired up in Parliament a lot of times. Not so much this week. You know, in hindsight, we go back and <laughs> think he did seem a little quiet. Uh, the maximum penalty for dangerous driving in South Australia is five years jail. So how that conviction would affect Burgoyne's eligibility for Parliament was not immediately known. That's, of course, if he was, uh, you know, convicted of this, which we're not sure. Yep. Um, and he's really trying not to say anything about the charges. But it, it remains unclear if he told the party and Ms. Finocchiaro about the charges or the incident. And if he did, why he and the party did not make them public. Uh, yeah, I... I don't know. Look, I, I expect that by Saturday when people hear this, the Burgoyne will have come out on Friday and uh, face the media and answer questions on whether he's still in Darwin. You know, Parliament ended. I don't know if they'll probably do it, I would think, in Darwin tomorrow morning uh, or Friday morning. Um, uh, but he may be back down in Alice. Uh, now, the other thing about this is just to put it in context, Pete, that uh, – you remember the Labour government faced criticism last year, early last year, for not publicly disclosing now member for Arafura Manuel Brown's conviction for killing a woman with his car when he was introduced as mm. the party's candidate for the Arafura by-election. Uh, the government continued to defend him and downplay his conviction as facts of the incident showed Brown had not rendered first aid as he had claimed to the public uh, when he ran a stop sign and killed a 62-year-old nurse in Catherine in 2009. Brown was first charged with dangerous driving causing death, but later pleaded to a lesser charge of driving without due care and served no jail time for causing the fatality. It also appeared Brown did not inform the party of his criminal history before being pre-selected, but the party permitted him to run for the seat anyway after becoming aware of the conviction when we broke the story. Uh, and of course, mm. he went on to win that seat. 
Um, so everything was good then. Um, didn't matter that yeah, he lied yeah. about everything. Then he lied to the public. He lied to the party. Um, yeah. Always forgiving. Yeah. So look, but, you know, it's going to be interesting, isn't it, to see because Labour will want to come out and attack this. And it's like, well, hang on a second here. You know, your house yeah, isn't yeah. clean either. Be careful of the glass house. Yeah. And, uh, but like I said, look, it, it is very serious. That's a very serious charge that the Burgoyne's facing. And uh, why? I, it just baffles me why he wouldn't have just come out and said here's like what happened i'm yeah it looks like i'm facing charges um here's the incident mm. what happened and just explain it to the public people are I, I think voters are more willing to accept apologies like that you know and and when someone's up front about it but when you get into this thing whether you hit it whether or not you to told the the leader or the party you know and then then people are starting to question leo finocchiaro's leadership did she know about this and choose not to make it public so yeah. the political ramifications will be big for this here and we'll see how this plays out um so yeah by saturday I encourage people to read the anti-independent we'll have the latest on that yes i believe the words the crime is usually in the cover-up was first uttered here on this podcast by your good self <laughs> some time ago Okay. I invented and that. How many times have we said it since? Yeah, because it, it, it just seems to be how our politicians like to go about their business, covering things up. Mm. Just be open and upfront, yeah. and honest with people. Like they're gonna, they'll, they'll they'll accept that better. They're more willing to forgive if you're upfront, but you cover it up. Yeah. it's not looking good. An amazing segue to the next story, Chris, because <laughs> yeah. uh, it seems that our very own Attorney General and Deputy Chief Minister may have allegedly been up to some shenanigans of his own as uh, shares in a grog distribution company have been revealed by your good self this week. Yeah, Pete. Yeah, yeah. Look, I didn't even know about this story last week when we talked. And then yeah. that Friday afternoon, I went down to Parliament. Uh, I thought, I was thinking like a couple of days before, you know, before sittings, I should check just to see if they had changed anything on the register of members' interests. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, I noticed this. And um, like I say, you know, I was saying that to you and Leon the other day, you got to do it like a doctor sometimes, treating someone with a broken arm. You, you know, you apply pressure until you see where the sore point is here, where the pain is. <laughs> and it seemed the pressure was applied last November and December when Files resigned uh, amid her share scandal. And everybody got a little nervous in labor. And so what I noticed on this uh, interest, register member's interest form was that uh, he had disclosed, he had divested shares in a company called Metcash. Now, Metcash is a, a major, major liquor wholesaler that supplies alcohol to uh, uh, the IGAs and in and, and the Alice Springs area, especially to the IGAs, the uh, Thirsty Camels, the Celebrations, the Bottle O. Uh, they're pretty big company and they also do food mm. distribution and in remote communities as well. Like I said, they, they kind of own the IGA brand <laughs> and then, um, they yeah, do, and they yeah. supply alcohol to the other companies. So it was, yeah, it was like, wow, okay. But here's the thing. He divested that on December 21st and we know that files resigned on December 19th. So he, he divested them two days after, which told me right away. It looks like he knows that he's done something wrong here. So I go back and I look on the registry of when he obtained these shares. And this is, I think, the most damning part of all of this is that he, the records show, uh, he, he invested in this liquor wholesale company 
two months before his Labour government controversially permitted intervention-era grog bans on remote communities to lapse. Mm. So, Pete, in, in, That's telling. Yeah, in May 20, in May, he, he disclosed them in May and he obtained them in May, we understand, 2022. In July, middle of July 2022, those bans were lifted, causing so much havoc and chaos in remote town camps in the uh, remote communities when when you know the there were, they were the intervention era grog bands and it was 15 years before these since these uh, communities had had alcohol come in and all of a sudden yep. you know one day they're allowed to be flowing alcohol in and the problems uh, just got out of control we know that the prime minister had to show up uh yeah it's um it was bad i look it was like spikes in major spikes in crime alcohol fueled violence emergency hospital admissions involving indigenous territorians to force the prime minister to come and hold crisis talks which uh ultimately resulted in the grog bans being reinstated a couple weeks after the prime minister's visit but here we had and this is key to the issue that we have uh, a minister who is in fact at that time the town camps minister and aboriginal affairs minister uh yeah. and he's got shares in a grog company that, that's making money off of this and he he's the one who comes out and says and he's the he's the figurehead for this he's the spokesman for the nt government on this and he's saying these are racist policies we need these lifted and and look he wasn't even listening to indigenous health organizations that were saying to him do not do this we know what will yeah. happen this has nothing to do with race this has everything to do with social issues and the and you know that will be exacerbated if the grogs let back into the communities he does not listen to them they let the bands lapse and the anti-government had nothing in place and then they had no safety net even in place for like you know funding and they were criticized for that by indigenous groups well you you, you need to increase the domestic violence funding you need to increase hospital staff you need to be ready for this there was nothing or you keep the yeah. bans in place and he did not want to do that he kept calling it a racist policy well now we know that there may have been an ulterior motive here and that he had shares in a company that stood to profit off of those bans being lifted. Mm. It, it's so outrageous, Pete. It is just so it outrageous is. that a minister would do that. I mean, not to mention the fact that he is outright breached the ministerial code of conduct, which specifically states ministers are not permitted to have shares, in fact, must divest all shares in any company that may present a conflict of interest. Now, they yeah. don't say invest. Now, you, you know, and I, <laughs> and I got to come back to that, Pete, because Files' Files's share scandal was Files' share scandal, and she did the wrong thing. And questions had to yeah. be raised about her integrity and the decisions that she made, because she made decisions that also affected, by the way, Indigenous people in uh at Groot Island when the allegations were made that the mine site out there was contributing to heavy metal poisoning and she refused to investigate as health minister and little did we know yeah. that she had undisclosed undisclosed shares in that mining company that was allegedly making indigenous people sick now you don't you're not going to be winning any votes there when you're poisoning indigenous people or at least you're failing to investigate the alleged poisoning of indigenous people now what chancy's done here too is a you know and even just sent the price to come out and said it was a sickening betrayal 
of um, Territorians and especially vulnerable Territorians and, you know, who were yeah. subjected to this uh, domestic violence stuff uh, as a result of that alcohol coming in. And was Chansey trying to profit off of that? Anyway, look, the, 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 it, it, was, it was very troubling. The story, as you know, went off and uh, was all yeah. over the country by later that morning. We published it Tuesday morning. Uh, yeah, it was just, I think everybody was in shock and read the, had to have a read of our story. And then, you know, other outlets were picking up on it. I was down because, you know, it's a whole different thing this year in 2024 that I'm invited to press conferences, Pete. So, <laughs> you know, I went down to, um, at 8 a.m. Eva Lawler's press conference on the Tuesday morning. Right now, now one of the things, and I'm not sure it's on our list tonight, Pete, but it doesn't need to be because nobody remembers she did it anyway. But she did <laughs> on the Monday. She did uh, what she was calling her "You're Ahead" speech, which is her kind of debut, if you will, yep. as the chief minister. And here's what my focus Assuming is: Assuming she's got a, a full <laughs> yeah, year to get through, she's only got six months to the election. She was saying in Parliament today, "Well, it's eight months to the next election." Whoa. Jeez, no, no, no. We're six months. You should be the next treasurer with that accounting. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. And she is the treasurer, so it all makes sense. So, um, but she, yeah, anyway, look, she she came out on the Monday and she did that, that speech. And they kind of had it all lined up of what they were going to do, different announcements every day during the week. And, um, yeah, it was interesting how that all went down. But uh, they never got to actually make those. Well, they did make the announcements. <laughs> But nobody cared because it was overshadowed by the yeah. scandal. And look, in politics, and I was explaining this to um, to one of the journalists there, was because uh, Eva and then that Tuesday morning when this came out, she showed up for the press conference and she wanted to talk about her. They're doing another review, Pete, believe it or not. Uh, yeah, okay. this time, well, why wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah, this time into the Youth Justice Act. So she wanted that press conference to be about that. She had Nari Kid with her and she had... Um, uh, Potter, who I call now forevermore Don Jr., <laughs> as I've never seen this man in person until that you morning. What's funny about that, Chris? When when you said that to me the other day, that uh, the police minister is now referred to as Don Jr., then I saw a picture of the speaker, and yeah, they if look you so glance at they all look the same. Yeah. They've all got this sort of you know shadowy yeah, three day yeah. growth beard, yeah. the slick back, dark hair. I thought. They're all, uh, I don't know if this is being coordinated or whether this is just a coincidence, but they all look the same. <laughs> I, I noticed that too today or yesterday, yeah. But it, look, I, I know when I was looking at, at, at Potter, when he made his few lines there on this press conference, I was thinking, I'm looking at him from the side, I'm like, my God, he looks exactly like Donald Trump Jr. And I just, and he's got that that kind of air about him, right? Like that kind of yeah, sleaziness. Yeah, the, the yeah, yeah, and the arrogance. And so I thought, yeah, no, Don Jr., oh my. And I'll tell you, any of our listeners, <laughs> once they hear this and they go and look at him, you will not get that out of your head ever again. He does look you can't <laughs> like Don it. Jr., yeah. So, um, so he gets up and he says his few lines and go, okay, guys, I'm ready. Any questions? I'll take your questions now. And it was kind of silence, like, what? And then uh, the Channel 9 reporter said, actually, Chief Minister, can you, we'd like to ask you something about these shares. 
and the whole interview was about uh. Chansey shares, right? And uh, Cunningham was there from Sky, and uh, and I was there, and we kind of, you know, uh, got some good questions into the chief minister, and it got to the point where it was only twelve minutes, and usually they go over twenty minutes, but they said last question because mm. they were getting annoyed, and um, they <laughs> left, and the, one of the ABC journalists said, "Oh wait, I did want to ask about the." Youth Justice Review, and Lawler said something like, you had your chance, and walked out. So, I had to say it loud enough so that they could hear me as they're leaving the room, and I said, hey, don't worry about that. I said, look, when a government's caught up in Mirrodin scandal, they don't get to make their announcements because... Yeah. The, the, the distraction is the scandal and they don't get to do what they want to do now this will go yeah. through the whole week here is that Lawler hasn't mitigated the scandal and in fact it continued to dog the party all week where announcements weren't what they thought it would be the, the only takeaway was oh look mm. this minister is defending Chancey Pake or this minister said that now back to that first day when we did the uh when we had that press conference at Parliament House with the Chief Minister before she stormed out there, uh, uh, the, the, the real thing that finally happened was the breakthrough in that was that she, she admitted that Chancey Pake, to her recollection, had not disclosed that he had those shares in Metcash while in mm-hmm. Cabinet and involved in, well, we, we, we assume involved in discussions around the stronger futures legislation lapsing and how the NT government was going to prepare and what they were going to do. Now, at some point, the NT government could have said, well, we'll bring in rules, we'll reinstate them, and that'll just be how, and it'll go back to normal. (laughs) But they didn't do that. They let them lapse and they had nothing in place. So the question then became, if he didn't disclose that he had his conflict of interest to cabinet, and then he is way out of line here and he affected the integrity of that decision that was made because we know he was leading the charge just in media. So what was going on in the cabinet room as a minister yeah. when he had that conflict of interest that he didn't disclose? And so she said, well, I don't have any recollection of that. And it was like, whoa. And I said to her and then I said, well, chief minister, uh, do you not have a duty and a responsibility then to report that to the ICAC? Because I had asked them the day before when we broke this story, um, I'd said, you know, will he refer himself to the ICAC or will the chief minister refer him to (laughs) ICAC? And will he stand down while the investigation is completed? And they said, and I think the line came back from Lawler saying, no, I'm not referring him to the ICAC. But the question then becomes, does she not have a responsibility and a legal requirement to, especially if he had deceived cabinet? And he hadn't disclosed his conflicts of interest. Like, it's all well and good, right? This is his thing. And he's saying, well, I put it on the register of members' interests. I've obeyed all rules. Well, you haven't. One, you've breached the ministerial code of conduct because you shouldn't have had the shares at all as a minister. And the fact you went Mm. and bought them as a minister is far worse than what Files had done, which was, you know, she had had these shares for years. I mean, one of them at the end with so 32, she hadn't disclosed and that's entirely inappropriate and she had to resign. Um, But the other stuff was pretty bad, too. But this guy went out and and bought them, actively bought shares (laughs) in a company that he knew his government would be making a decision very shortly on that would affect that company. (laughs) So he he says, no, 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 I, uh, I obeyed all the rules. I did all this. Like it's just, it was just not, not the, not the facts. And, you know, and, and Lawler saying, I don't recall him bringing it up. I think that, that, that she needed to probably. That's telling, isn't it, Chris? Yeah. 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 
I just think that, like, we haven't seen that from this government prior to this chief minister. Even even if it hadn't have been brought up, there was always sort of covering your teammate. And I thought for the first time that was a just a really different and interesting way of handling it. <laughs> that she said too much. And that and that yeah. kind of became the thing, right? And then so so Chancey comes out and he does his press conference at twelve thirty. And so, you know, I left Parliament, I got back to the office, started doing things, was on the phone with people because journalists and others were calling saying, oh, my God, the story, tell us, and I'm helping them out and briefing them. And um, uh, so I get back there, and ABC was late to that press conference, but they had their satellite bag with them because they were going to go live. They figured he was resigning, that he was going to do the honorable thing here. I mean, you know, you've betrayed your people (laughs) you know you've you've really done bad here um yeah but he didn't he fought it he gave quite a a spirited performance i would call it uh where he didn't answer questions i think i got first question on that and i said because he had said well look i'm gonna reveal now that it was only 436 dollars i just thought that statement just showed a real lack of understanding of the gravity of the situation and then there was the ridiculous comment about i sought a financial expert or accountant <laughs> yeah. or whatever he said it's like really so you went and sat down with a financial expert and they recommended you buy 436 dollars worth of something well i think it was that's un- yeah they were reporting 125 shares i think he had said it was 100 shares um but but it was funny because uh he he said and this was later, and he said, yeah, I, well, I asked him that day, right? I was staying in that press conference, and I said, so, just, that was the first question, like, why would you do this then? <laughs> like, for 400 and some bucks, why would you even do this? Yeah. And he wouldn't answer, that's my prerogative, I can do as I please, I'm a minister, ministers can have shares. And I thought, oh, God, and we kept coming back, and I just kept thinking about it and saying, no, but really, why? Why would you do this for $400? Anyway, the next day, he's on Katie, and Katie finally, and he was changing his story then, or he was giving more details, and he said, "Um, well, you know, he said, uh, I met with my financial advisors and my accountants, and they suggested I diversify my shares portfolio. And that was hilarious. <laughs> like I first still laughing because I know from that record what his shares yeah. portfolio is. It was non-existent to that point. It yeah, was yeah. that he bought shares, four hundred some dollars shares of Metcash, and he bought shares in another company called Beta Shares, which was like some right. group that looks at green companies and gives reports on the best stock to buy for only green companies uh, that, that that don't deal right. with fossil fuels. Which may even put him yeah. in some other conflict with his leader here, who's yeah. all gone all <laughs> on the gas. And yeah, so, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah. It, but anyway, uh, that that interview, I do got to say that that um, I I wonder if people have heard it, but that interview that Katie Wolf did with him was by far the best interview she's ever done. And uh, oh, yeah, it was impressive, Pete. I got to be honest about that. Yeah, and right. she went pretty hard. Yeah. She cut him off at times when was he was just friendly. sick and tired of this with this guy. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I thought ooh, they'll, they'll probably go soft on Chansey. But I think by that point, everybody was annoyed. The, the one question that he wouldn't answer that uh, had carried over from that press conference we were at with him, where we kept asking him, okay, and Cunningham, Cunningham really went hard on him on that. And said, Chansey, I've asked you, did you disclose those shares to cabinet? 
and he would not answer that question. He was dodging uh, all over the place, which I think gives us the answer. Yeah. That carried around think, uh, to the next day. Um, uh, and, you know, at one point, I got to say this in that press conference that we're asking him about disclosing the shares. And I said to him, because he kept dodging it, and I said, look, uh, Minister, uh, you know, you you didn't disclose those shares. You disclosed them on your register, but it appears you didn't disclose them in cabinet. He said, how would you know, Chris? You weren't there. And I said, <laughs> and I said, well, I'm going to take what the chief minister said yesterday. Are you calling the chief yeah. minister a liar? And that's when he yeah. had that line that everybody used where he said, um, Oh, you know, her recollection is different. Uh, and it was a couple of years ago now. Oh, and <laughs> different version yeah, of facts, which became a, yeah. a thing that was brought up in Parliament, too. Um, He's pulled a Joe Biden on it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. She's an old man with a poor memory is how she he <laughs> describes her to, to his yeah, friends, yeah, to his right. good time friend. <laughs> anyway, look, I don't know. But um, the next day that it carried over and uh, Katie had uh, really got into him on that. And saying, um, why why can't you just give us a straight answer? He's trying to say it was some legal issue with cabinet confidentiality. Now, he might say that, yet the chief minister was able to say that she didn't recall him disclosing it. It, it, it really wasn't. And if you've thing. done nothing wrong, and if it's not the nuclear codes, you just answer the question. Yeah, exactly. If you've got something to hide, you duck and weave, and you use stupid responses like, it's my prerogative. That is what someone says when they're cornered. Yeah, that's what I felt. I felt the whole thing was like, he's like, um, uh, you know, inserting my whatever amendment to not to, to not self-incriminate <laughs> on this. Yeah, <laughs> he yeah. was in the States. He was <laughs> not self-incriminating, so he he's wouldn't answer the, the question. Yeah. So, um, yeah, anyway, so this kind of went on all week uh, where we didn't get any answers. And in Parliament, uh, you know, they the, the opposition came out, come out the next day and said, look, you know, yep. if he if he's not gonna if you guys aren't gonna be upfront, one of you's either not telling the truth, right? One of you's not telling the truth. Yeah. So just release the minutes from the cabinet meetings <laughs> that show where the disclosures are done. Because Eva Lawler, and this was a funny line, she had said that that first day. She said, Well, look, when I'm chief minister or you know, whoever's chief minister <laughs> I thought, yeah, we're kind of at that point, are we? Whoever's yeah, chief minister this It week. does feel like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she said, but the meetings, cabinet meetings always start with declarations of conflicts. So the CLP said, okay, show us that. Yeah. Right? Show us that declaration. We don't need to see the whole cabinet decision, and that needs to remain confidential. Right. Um, but show us that. And uh, flatly rejected by Lawler, who said the public can mm. wait 30 years to find out if Chancey disclosed his interest to Parliament, to Cabinet. Mm. Um, now, that's in keeping, and I know that, that that annoys people, and people see that now. There is a convention here that the Cabinet documents aren't released for yep. 30 years. But, like you say, when there are things, this isn't big secrets. This is clear yeah. the air once and for all. Let's exactly. see if he disclosed them to Cabinet. But, you yeah. know, the other thing, and then the ICAC gets involved. <laughs> Pete. Oh, yep. Had some brochures to hand Yeah, out. he shows up with this uh, long-winded statement. Oh, my good God. I don't know how many words it was. 2,000, 2,500 words. <laughs> just rambling, yeah. just all over the place. But I think the takeaway was um, that everybody has conflicts of interest. And this is Rich's educating us. Um, right. But the takeaway was uh, he said something like, uh, you know, it's not that you have a conflict of interest that's a problem. It's how you manage it. 
And yeah. this, although he wasn't, he said he wasn't speaking directly about the Chancey Pay matters scandal. <laughs> um, you know, you, you do, yeah, to. you do think, well, yeah. And then the other thing he said was, for instance, managing it would be uh, removing yourself from discussions that relate to your conflict. Now, yeah. here's the thing we don't know. I mean, the way that we've been talking about this and the way that they talked, well, he never disclosed. Lawler said she doesn't recall him disclosing. He said, you know, he was all weaselly about it all and saying, well, I always say things, I always disclose things, I always talk to people about things. Um, it seems to me that he didn't engage in the conversation. So right there, he's got a problem because the ICAC saying you should have just walked away from it and not been involved. Yeah. But he was so, you know, like Robin Lamley had said in that first story, his ideology was so strong as well that he he needed yeah. to be a part of it. This was him doing this. So then why, like, just be governed by your ideology, and then why are you then going and getting shares in a company? And I yeah. think Katie's, Katie's best point was this. She said um, to Chancey around the, the issue of why, 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 <laughs> was um, <laughs> she said, look, uh, she said, I talk to people who have shares, and she said there's two, two reasons that people invest. One is to support a company that, would, that they mm -hmm. like and that they approve of what this company's doing, so they want to support the company and they put money into it. And she said, second is to turn a profit. Yeah. And then he just rambled on, right? But she should have kept that going and said, Chancey, we know that this is a, what, $3 billion company. So you're, you clearly your money to, to support it didn't matter. You were clearly doing it to turn a profit. How do you respond to that? And uh, he just yeah. wouldn't. He uh, was a weasel about the whole thing. It, it just sort of doesn't make sense, though. It just doesn't add up. Because, as you say, if if he's this great champion of ending the stronger futures legislation and, you know, allowing people to make their own decisions, etc. That's that's one side of the coin. If if he's then investing in this company and he's doing it to make money, and you know, let's let's be honest, he's not on a small wage, so he's earning lots of money. Why are you Buying four hundred bucks worth, like there's nothing about that that ends well. No, mate. I like, don't care. If he'd put fifty grand into it, I go, okay, fair enough. He's trying to make some cash, but four hundred bucks, <laughs> like that's just it's well, ridiculous. Well, it was to diversify his non-existent shares portfolio at that time. Maybe, maybe he doesn't know what diversify means. Maybe he means invest and not diversify. <laughs> I don't know. Because if you divert, well. I don't know. Yeah. So, look, federally, uh, CLP Senator Jacinta Price uh, was quick on the draw on the Tuesday when that story came out. Usually. Yeah, is. she shared our story on Facebook and she said, look, uh, he needs to resign for his, quote, utterly reprehensible conduct, she said, and for his betrayal right. of the NT and especially our most vulnerable to deliberately yeah. allow alcohol to flow where it is killing our people, knowing it is delivering a profit is sickening, she said. Uh, I'm mm. deeply angered by this conduct given the number of alcohol-related crimes, violence incidents, and deaths alcohol has caused since the lapsing of the Stronger Futures legislation, Chansey must go. I think she took it a step further on Sky News that day saying that Chansey has blood on his hands. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, look, this, yeah, okay. she was not impressed. And I'm telling you, Pete, I think that there's a lot of uh, Indigenous leaders in the Territory who maybe don't want to come out on the record, but I can tell you yeah, a lot of them uh, pretty disgusted yeah. is the word that I heard a lot this week who, you know, 
maybe don't want to go on the record yet, but uh, disgusted was a word yeah. that was thrown around by Indigenous people this week and to Chansey's conduct. It would definitely be troubling. And, and you know, I go back to something you said before. Why? Why would you do this? There's nothing about it that adds up. It just, it really doesn't make sense. <laughs> so maybe we find out more down the track. I don't know. But it just doesn't seem to have any rhyme nor reason as to why you would do that. Yeah. So... Uh, luckily, our good friend Jeff Watson from the Center for Public Integrity, he came out on this mm. and spoke to Liz Travaskas on ABC Radio. Integrity <laughs> is in his name. <laughs> he said, doesn't matter the sum of Peg shares as uh, Peg tried to make it sound. He said, the principle is large. The fundamental question here is whether ministers should ever purchase shares in businesses which operate within their portfolio. I would have thought the answer to that is quite obvious. You should never yeah. do it. It doesn't matter that it's small. It's it's a practice that's got to be controlled, stopped, and that's what should happen next. Um, yeah, so, uh, look, he's getting hammered all over the place. This is just dragging on a parliament that's consuming parliament. Uh, the COP keeps yeah. going. So today now uh, brings us up to today. I think we've covered this all. Um uh, the CLP moves a censure motion against Eva Lawler for for a number of issues, but mostly really, I mean, generally for not holding lack of leadership. yeah, not holding Chancey responsible for his actions and accountable, like and, and yeah. taking disciplinary action. Um, yeah, she had said for her failure to lead the territory with integrity and failure to uphold the standards set under the ministerial code of conduct, as well as failure to follow the rules. Um, he then, so this is a censure motion, right? And this is their way in Parliament yeah. of formally rebuking a leader. Uh, now, what typically happens in that? Although, you know, I can't remember how many there have been uh, just in the, this term of government, but I don't think any one of them was actually allowed to be debated. Now, even right. Giles and the CLP, they would labor when they were in opposition would bring censure motions against him and he'd leave and let them complain about him and go <laughs> on. And then his party would get up and they would defend him. And it was a democratic debate. And that's what the censure stuff's about is to rebuke a leader. If they get it up, they're never going to get it up to get the numbers to actually no. formally censure. But it's the principle, the democratic principle of having that debate. Now, what Chancey Pate yeah. did today was he then as leader of government business just shut it down completely without the debate even happening. They could use their numbers and do that. So that's what was done. Um, now, as, as Leah pointed out, the, the irony of having the person Eva Lawler is protecting stand up to protect her from a censure motion should not be lost on Territorians. It's clear to the CLP that Eva Lawler is protecting Chansey Paik because if he goes, so does she. Mm. Now, this is an interesting point, right? I mean, the question has to be when you're looking at this politically is uh, even not, you know, leading with integrity and, and protecting him because of her own political fortunes. Like how devastating, mm. Pete, is that if uh, if Chansey's not booted out as deputy? Now, there's a lot of intermechanations at work too here, right? And we talked about this. Yep. Now, Chansey led from the inside information that we have, Chansey led the Aboriginal members uh, in caucus to support Eva to be the chief minister when they knocked Nicole Madison right out of parliament. So our shit yep. resigned. Um, and uh, for leadership there. So 
you know, what happens to the dynamics then if Eva moves on Chansey and has to get rid of him? Because like she said, she had promised to restore integrity. You know, when she came in after that share scandal on that first press conference when I was there, she talked about how, oh, you know, Australians don't trust politicians and I'm going to be working very hard to change that. And we're going to do a review into the conflicts of interest register and all of this mm-hmm. and that, right? Um so she has a moral responsibility to do something to Chansey, but politically that's going to be difficult. And I think that's what we're seeing here is that she would rather leave him in uh, and suffer the criticism that she has an unethical government than she is to bring him to kick him out and to see what happens next. I mean, does does Manuel mm-hmm. Brown there, you know, our friend who loves riding through stuff, does he become a minister then? Does D. Rand Young become Probably. a minister? Does like you know they're running out of people here, Pete? And, and but most people what about are, Harry? are tainted. Um, what about Harry? Could he take over as deputy chief minister or Harry? <laughs> Harry Potter. I mean Don Junior. <laughs> Don Junior. That's well. Look, I think I think I think your buddy Joel Bowden was auditioning today. He was up oh, there. Yeah, he, was he was all fired up. I don't know what for. Uh, on Wednesday they were all pretty <laughs> downcast. Uh, yeah. Chancey was speaking in a different voice, even. He was so uh, just staring at the ground saying, yeah, tomorrow I'm going to introduce this and that. <laughs> um, okay. So they, they know, look, they, they, I think they're all deflated because this week did not go the way that Lawler thought it would go. Um, and it's exposed a certain hypocrisy there about where you're saying you're going to clean mm-hmm. things up. This goes back to 2016. And the more that, that this goes on, this week really took me back to 2016 with all these scandals erupting yeah. and you don't know who the chief minister yeah. is going to be anymore. And it's just Everywhere like... Everywhere they move is a Yeah, scandal. it's just like when the COP was on their mm-hmm. way out the door. So that's interesting. Look, Leah Fanacchiaro, I think, had a good line. She calls it the integrity crisis. Labor's integrity oh, yeah. crisis, and yeah. I think that is what yep. what this is now. Um, oh, I think that's right. This this has been ongoing for quite some time. It's just that um, it's like the leaky boat, isn't it? Mm-hmm. They just can't stop the leaks, no matter what happens. A new one pops yep. up. Yep, and I think this is going to continue to. Uh, and this is completely self inflicted. <laughs> this is this is going on my own goal count, Chris. This is an own goal for the Labor Party. Yep. And and look, they were taking some federal criticism again. Um, Jacinta Price came out today as well, saying, again, he's got to go. He had a responsibility to the people of the NT, to our most marginalized. He should have declared his conflict of interest in cabinet at the time he was arguing for those bans to be lifted. And if the shares didn't mean that much, why did he divest them when he became deputy chief minister? What changed? Mm. She said, As, aside from the fact, I believe he thought he could do it quietly after the realization of what happened to Natasha Files. Um, yeah. And then the chaos ensued. So, look, the other thing, and then I bring that up because uh, we went to um, some very respected uh, uh, senior labor figures in federal parliament. Of course, um, Marion Scrimja, um, former deputy chief minister herself here in labor in the NT, yeah. and uh, Malandiri McCarthy. Uh, of course, she is assistant uh, minister for Aboriginal Australians federally. Um, I think their silence said everything. They, yeah. uh, this was like two days ago, I requested comment from them both. Yeah. Uh, this is what I'm saying. I think that people are so disgusted in what Chansey's done here. Now, these are in strong indigenous leaders uh, in the Labour Party. 
uh, who I, I think it's quite clear by the fact that they couldn't put a comment together look to, to support him, even to say, look, he explained why and we buy that and we think everything's fine. No, they're not even yeah. saying anything. And that, like, what he's done is so yeah. reprehensible. They, they're not even going to comment on it, you know? Mm. Um, that's what it feels like. And we'll see if that changes and what, uh, comes out about that. But, um, mm. it was not a good week for anybody here and, uh, to, to, for the public to, right? To, 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 if there was any way that they could lose any more faith in their democratically elected uh, yeah. politicians, this was uh, another blow to the, this government and its lack of integrity on, on everything now. And, and really, the more that she keeps him in, he's tarnished. He's, he's really ruined himself here. And he'll just be a reminder of how bad he screwed up and how bad this government lacks integrity. And so, uh, mm. yeah, I guess that's, look, as of Thursday night, we still don't hear anything about him resigning. I think, like I told you, on the when, on the Tuesday at lunchtime, ABC showed up thinking he was going to resign. And um, he's still trying to tough this one out. But And you got to think yeah. that, that inside caucus, they're pissed off, and cabinet as well. One, that, that he's ruined the integrity of cabinet. He's called that integrity. Yeah, and they're push. drawn into yeah, it. Yeah, and then they're trying to make announcements like Don Jr., and he doesn't get a, a word in. Yeah because of Chansey <laughs> scandal. So, um, yeah, six months out, six months to go, Pete, but they're, they're, they're really deflated, defeated, and, yeah, like you said, by their own doing. That's right. Well, Friday's a good day for resignation, so um, <laughs> yeah. I guess uh, we'll see whether this is a prophetic statement or not Absolutely. come uh, the release of this episode. Chris, um, moving on to some other stories now, and... Uh, Speaking of leaving politics, which we're thinking that might happen on the government side, but former uh, speaker and uh, one-time Boatshed Bay aficionado. <laughs> a uh, member for Boatshed Pyrrhic. Bay. Yeah. <laughs> Pyrrhic has uh, decided to quit politics saying... I'm just going away. And everybody breathed a sigh of relief and high five. <laughs> I'm just going away. Oh, my God. How many people yeah. have told you, Kizzy, will you just go away already? Just <laughs> go so away. she said, I'm doing it. I'm going away. Her line was, I've done my bit. Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> you should have heard this. So, she she had to go on her great mate Katie Wolf show. Um Remember, Katie Wolf was rehabilitating her image since the ICAC corruption findings against Kezia. But Katie uh, would keep having her on every week to to rehabilitate her image. So she said, "No, well, okay. that's the place I got to go." So for some reason, at 11 a.m. on Thursday, Kezia showed up and said that she was resigning. She didn't have like a statement prepared, and and some politicians, that's fine. They can wing. It was terrible. There was no reflection on anything that she had accomplished. There was just right. like, oh, yeah, well, it's going to be hard. But I made the decision. And so, yes, I've done my bit. It's time for someone else to step up. I'm stepping out. I'm just going away. I'm not going far, but it's just time for me and it's time for my family. And then okay. they just talked about nothing for the next five minutes. And um, <laughs> it was really odd. Like when, when a politician resigns, they would usually talk about maybe some accomplishments that they were proud of their yeah. time in office. A couple of achievements. No, she just went on and kind of made a political saying, oh, and the CLP thinks they'll win it. Well, bok, bok, bok. You know, it turns into the chicken again. Oh, like she really? does and says, well, they should watch it. I don't think they will win it. You know, she'll probably nominate or she'll endorse um, her friend Beverly Ratahi, who lost in the other election last time. Like, she'll probably, right. I don't know what the hell that she's doing out there. <laughs> anyway, she said that um, 
Now, it was 16 years that she's been in. I, yeah. I would just encourage people. I think we even made this one free. Like, just go and read what she's done. Because I realized when I was putting the story together <laughs> to go back and look at everything from 2008 till now. This is a disastrous career in politics. This is a career run by one of the worst people, politicians to ever enter NT Parliament. And and it's quite a statement, yeah, Chris. No, honestly, Pete, I, I think she is one of the worst politicians that that we've ever had. And maybe really it puts her in the running anywhere in the free world. Um <laughs> <laughs> this is uh I'm just gonna go in the free world. I'm just gonna go through some of her highlights here, right? I'm just gonna add this up and you tell me at the end of this, right? So Okay. Purick for Center Politics is a CLP member at the two thousand eight election. Yep. But she was caught leaking information about the CLP's policies directly to the opposition after she felt snubbed when then CLP Chief Minister Terry Mills in twenty twelve gave the deputy role to Robin Lamley over her. Right, so she was so mad about that, and she didn't get a ministry. He put her in a speaker that she started leaking against him, against his wow. government. Yeah. Um, anyway, so then she quit the CLP in 2015. Now in 2017, and she said, "Oh, at the time it was integrity. She didn't like their integrity issues. Right? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> they didn't have integrity." Yeah. Oh ironic. God, yeah. So then in 2017, Purick was caught up in a scandal involving the use of taxpayer funds to pay for Commonwealth Parliamentary Association events and putting reimbursements from that group into a, a secret bank account. She and the former clerk, Michael Tatham, managed, quote, for general purposes. Right. Like that should have, we had an ICAC <laughs> at the time, would have gone there, and she would have probably got done yeah. for that. I mean, that one, I, I broke that one years ago. It was shocking what they were doing. with. Like, they would hold these elitist events with all these people showing up, and like from overseas and um they would pay for it they went and got a treasurer's advance pay for it with taxpayer money and then they got reimbursed for most of it by the commonwealth parliamentary association but instead of paying taxpayers back they put it into a secret bank account they had for general purposes mm. for them to travel like it was general outrageous purposes. that was 2017 yeah. 2020 as we know the icac report found she had engaged in corrupt conduct when she used public resources as speaker to interfere in the establishment of a new political party run by none other than her mortal enemies, Terry Mills and Robin Lamley. Oh, Remember right. she, yeah. that one. And then, yeah. and then here was the kicker on that too. She lied about it to the investigators repeatedly. They had evidence. Right. And this woman sat there and said, no, it's not true. No, I didn't do anything wrong. And they're like, no. She did the old Eddie Murphy trick, wasn't me? Yeah, no. It, it was, <laughs> she just outright lied about her corruption. And they had evidence that showed that she was lying and she continued mm. to lie. Now, here's the best part yeah. about this. And I remember this was just around the time we started at the NT Independent. She was in Parliament. She, she tried to, to start, she tried to strike a committee that would oversee the ICAC while she was knowingly under investigation by the ICAC. I cannot right. make this stuff up. This is what I'm talking about. One of the worst yeah. people to have ever entered into parliament. Um, and I just want to... That'd be cheeky even for Putin. <laughs> no. Um, and just so everybody remembers that 2020 ICAC report found she engaged in corrupt conduct when she used public resources as speaker to interfere in the establishment of the party. Um yeah, and now she spent the last four years 
outside the speaker's chamber because she wasn't allowed to be speaker anymore. Although the COP at one point actually tried to, they put her up to be it again. Yeah, I remember that. Like two years to the day that the corruption finding came out. Yeah. Anyway, but this is very important too. I need people to understand this too, just because it's a fact. Um, She spent the last four years outside the speaker chamber railing against the office of the independent commissioner against corruption. That was her thing. Just any chance she got, she'd bring it up in Parliament. Nobody was talking about the ICAC, and she'd bring it up and say that they're bad, and she's going to get them, and whatever. She she disagreed with someone looking into corruption. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and she did, and she did, and she put forward a thing about, yeah, parliamentary privilege. And Anyway, she claimed on the day she resigned as Speaker that she had not been afforded procedural fairness, a claim that was not backed up with any evidence at all, and that was repeatedly rejected by former ICAC Ken Fleming. The report into her conduct remains on the ICAC's website. And this whole, I didn't get procedural fairness. No, they gave it to you, and you lied, and you repeatedly lied. Anyway, Purick once told, and this is a big one, this is what I want you to know. Purick once told the NT Mm. News that she had reached Mm. an out-of-court settlement with the ICAC in relation to the report into her conduct. That has never been confirmed by anyone other than her in terms of any alleged settlement. And that was her whole thing. I got a big, I got a settlement. I got a big settlement. Quack, quack, quack. But why would the report still be on the ICAC's website? Exactly, Pete. Exactly. That is exactly right. Now, she went around telling this story, lying to everybody because it made her feel good because that was the only way she could get out that she wasn't corrupt, even though she lied to investigators, was found to have engaged in corrupt conduct, but then went around and... Look, I can't tell you how I know all this stuff because it gets complicated Mm. here and there are legal issues with others. And it's not from the ICAC, too, I'll tell you that. But I know for a fact that she made this stuff up and she was telling people that she was getting, like she said that she had all this money and then, but they gave her the money. Oh, Pete, but this was the best one that I heard. They gave her the money. Um, They said, we'll give you more money if you let us keep the report up. And she said, oh, yes, yes. Well, then, okay. Well, I will take more money then. That is straight (laughs) bullshit, lady. This woman is maniacal. This woman is out of control. It is so good she's leaving. My God, we're all better off. Anyway, um, yeah. So, really, that that legal action she took was just to prevent Fleming. She had some case about parliamentary privilege that she brought up, right? It was mm-hmm. always done just so she wouldn't be referred to the DPP for charges. That's all she got out of that, right. too. And, by the way, she wasn't okay. referred to the DPP. She did not walk right. away with some huge payout. Because, like I said, and like you said, the report is still there. And she's actually, yeah, with this same, story yeah. that she's made up, is implying that the ICAC's corrupt men and paying her off to keep a lie up about her. And I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. And anyone who believed that was crazy in my mind. Anyway, people yeah. did. People did. Now. Well, people will believe anything, Chris, as we know. <laughs> now, Purick also came under fire, you remember, in 2020 for hefty liquor expenses. She charged taxpayers while in the speaker role. Remember for bullshit Bay stuff, as you remember in our mm-hmm. NT independent investigation, including... Tens of thousands of dollars on bottle shop runs. <laughs> Remember that? Like, it was wild. Yeah. Um, and a hundred grand for special dinner parties for herself and preferred social groups over a span of three years. Um, we couldn't uh, even get a total. We had asked for a total, and it just wasn't even there. They weren't even yeah, keeping yeah. the books properly on this booze and the parties <laughs> that she was holding. Um, yeah. Now, last year... She most recently attracted controversy when she accepted an all-expense-paid trip by Big Tobacco 
You remember this one with that, oh, that's uh, right. at the tobacco conference yes. in Seoul, Korea, where she claimed on a panel at that conference that the Australian Cancer Council and the Heart Foundation are opposed to vaping because, quote, they don't have enough evidence. Right. This woman, they, the, the Cancer wow. Council and the Heart Foundation then issued statements saying we are fact-based, science-based company organizations <laughs> that when we make our mm. recommendations for the public health of people, we're basing it on science and facts. This Kizzy Burek okay. lied about the Cancer Council, Pete. <laughs> she made up <laughs> a lie internationally about the Australian Cancer Council. I, I, I'm not making any of this up. Mm. This is all documented. This is how she spent mm. 16 years of her life. It's the greatest hit. Being paid by taxpayers for all of this. I, it, I'm just like mm. baffled. Like, I didn't even realize it until I put it all on the same page. And then I was just, I blew yeah. myself away. I was like, oh my good God, like what? No wonder she's leaving. I don't know what her real reason is for leaving. I'm sure it's something yeah. though. And it's not to to do something good for anybody else. New challenge. <laughs> New challenge. <laughs> Maybe Big Tobacco were so impressed with their lies about the cancer council they hired her. I don't know. Um He's moving to South Korea. It was crazy. She she no, I think mm. part of that might be politics. I think people had had enough of her stinking act. And um and then I'm judging this by well, there was a big twenty twenty. Um, there was a big swing in her seat too yeah, at the last election. Twenty four percent swing against her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which a normal politician yeah. doesn't survive, right? But at that she was no. popular out there for a while. Yep. A few terms, mm. a couple of terms. And then people started seeing, well, wait a second, you're not being honorable here, Kezia. Where's my girl? Yeah. And then after the corruption findings, 23.9% swing against her. She still hung on by five or something. That's how big her margin was. But they turned on yeah, her. Yeah, and, I, you know, it seems to me that politically, if she's looking at that, that um, she probably didn't think she had uh, enough for another run at it here that she'd get in, I think. Mm. I'm just glad she gave me the opportunity to put it all down on one page so people can see what a political <laughs> career it was. And, you know, there's stuff on there, too, where she, you know, thought she was cute and funny when she threatened to castrate a federal MP. Um, yeah, you know, did. stuff like that, that, that I don't know, she thought was cute and funny. I'll tell you if it was the other way around and a male politician threatened to abuse or assault yeah, the female politician whatever the opposite yeah that they would that would not be laughed at the way anyway look yeah i i'm just i think the northern territory mm. is very lucky now uh that she's gone and we'll be better for it in the end well chris you might say that but uh in parliament this week uh, there was a there was a new speaker elected <laughs> yeah let me tell you this was not without opposition <laughs> Uh, I know, Pete. I, I, I was going to tell you. Anyway, I'm going to tell you this story, and then I'm going to tell you a little part about afterwards what happened. Because <laughs> I think people's reaction was generally, it's sad, but it's also funny. But anyway, but <laughs> it, it, this part's sad. Anyway, look, <laughs> as we knew, um, our friend D. Ran Young was the acting speaker, but they had to make it formal. And so he was put up in Parliament on Tuesday morning. Uh, and uh, they used their numbers, Labor did, to um, to ram him through, get him into the Speaker's chair. And meanwhile, the CLP mm -hmm. countered with uh, Joe Hersey, the member for Catherine, that they wanted to see. Yeah. Um, but what happened was, again, like I said, it was I, I describe it here as an onslaught. Uh, they just <laughs> went after 
Ran Young and 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 I guess you know, but you got to be fair. Like all of it was factually true. They were just pointing out what his history, his very short yeah. history. Kezia did all of her stuff in sixteen years. This guy's only been around for a year and a half or two years or something. And yeah, he's, yeah. he's already yeah. done some pretty horrible things. So opposition CLP MLA Steve Edgington led the onslaught in Parliament, stating that Young uh, was being promoted government his bad behavior and he relayed the story of how young had threatened uh, josh burgoyne when he was a ministerial staffer in february 2021 <laughs> now mm -hmm. young as we know at that point had allegedly confronted burgoyne at night outside parliament during sittings and told him to quote watch what you say and use quote threatening abusive and harassing words during the uninvited confrontation uh, Young was later forced to apologize to Burgoyne. Now, this is when he was, uh, Young was working for Selena Yubo, uh, was forced to apologize to Burgoyne in an anonymous apology letter read to Parliament. Selena read it out, didn't say his name or anything, but I made a note. I knew who it was. I made a note. And yeah. it's so strange that then six months later, well, Look, the, the threats had happened. All of that happened. The, the apology letter was written. Um, Edgington said, this doesn't sound like the behavior that would be fitting for someone to hold the office of speaker. The person who knowingly broke the standards expected by those in place is now being nominated as a person tasked with upholding those standards. But his disrespect for the office doesn't stop there. Of course, we cannot forget the fuel card scandal. Um, and we know about that, but, but Selena had, uh, had read this apology where it was unnamed. And then she had said, you know, and then he doesn't reflect our labor values. Six <laughs> months later, he was pre-selected as the candidate for Daly. Like, this is how he's, morally bankrupt. He's done his time, Chris. He's done <laughs> how morally bankrupt this Territory Labor Party is. They got Manuel Killer uh, Brown. They got uh, this guy <laughs> who was threatening people who they said doesn't reflect our values. Like, they, they yeah. will just take anyone. And it'll be so interesting to see who they, their whole slate of candidates will come up soon. Yep. Um, whole stack of shareholders. Yeah, and and look, everybody remembers the uh, the whole fuel card scandal. Uh, that young at church taxpayers twenty six hundred for his, to go back to his home state of New South Wales for Christmas twenty twenty two after the former Speaker Monaghan made a secret determination to permit the politicians to use their government fuel cards, which was overturned by the Independent Remuneration Tribunal late last year. Uh, despite that ruling that the practice was inappropriate, both politicians refused to pay back taxpayers. Edgington brought that up. He said no money was ever repaid, not even an apology from the member for Daly <laughs> for using a taxpayer-funded fuel card. Yeah. Um, he said this is the level of disregard Labour's nominee for Speaker has for Territorians, for standards for ethical behavior, and for the integrity of this place. <sighs> Strong words. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean... Sometimes you literally just have to shake your head thinking, if this was a television show, <laughs> like a soap opera, you'd go, oh, my God, there's no way this storyline Yeah, it's hold. so over-the-top absurd. Yeah. It's absurd. Oh, they're crazy. The writers of this show have no idea about <laughs> real life. <laughs> I know, man, and this is our real life. Uh, yeah, so Selena got up and, and defended Young, accused the CLP of muckraking and playing politics. Like muckraking, like the, but this is he's this done is the that. same lady that said he was un yeah the the, the quote was in no way reflects the values of our labor government and and now she's up defending yeah. him oh, wow Jesus. what a turnaround yeah. um 
uh, Robin Lamley said the position of uh, speaker needed to be held in high esteem. It was quite a good speech she gave about being around and seeing yeah. different parliamentaries, parliaments and how they work. Um, she said, but the Labour had been disrespecting the position by slipping three different speakers through the role over the past three years. She said, it's likely by the end of the week that we'll have another speaker, as the member for Daly will probably be promoted to a minister by the end of the week or maybe in a month's time. <laughs> Yep, sarcasm, tongue in cheek, but it's, yeah, because uh, it looked like Chancey should be going, and so they then got to do another cabinet reshuffle. So we may have another speaker. Yeah. Um, she said, um, "I don't think he has behaved in a fashion that is consistent with the high regard that speakers are held in across the Commonwealth countries. I don't think he's good enough for the job." And I was thinking about this before. What what position in terms of the hierarchy is the speaker? They're about the third or fourth most important person. Well, you person, would say that they're the second most. I think that was what came out because okay. they're keeping them in control. You got the chief minister, but then you got the yeah, speaker who's got to make determinations on things. And as that goes, how yep. debate flows in parliament and all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, That's no, true. it's a very important role. Uh, yeah, so. Uh, I'll, I'll get. I'll finish this here because I want to tell you about the money here. But uh, um, yeah, I like. Well, Lamley just said I don't think he's behaved in a fashion that is consistent with the high regard of the office. I don't think he's mm. good enough for the job. Uh, Burgoyne got up and he said that Young appeared drunk when he threatened him outside Parliament House in 2021, <laughs> adding <laughs> the incident had never been dealt with properly because they wanted to refer him to privileges or they were they brought something and the yeah. Labour just used their numbers and shut it down. Um, but he had, yeah. and there may have been a criminality element to that. You're not allowed to threaten elected members. Yeah. Oh, really? And so it's pretty serious. So Burgoyne's saying, look, this... Not even with a cream pie. <laughs> yeah. Um, no. So... He said it was never dealt with properly. He said this, and he was quite frustrated that day. He said, this is just not right. You know, him <laughs> becoming speaker, he said, it speaks for itself how far NT Labour has fallen from grace that this is who they put up for one of the most high-standing officers of this parliament. Uh, however, Labour used its numbers and later elected young speaker 15 to 10 against Joe Hersey. Um, so, <laughs> he's making... Do you know, did you see what he was making on this? It's crazy. Like, uh, Well, I know the ballpark, yeah. but it always staggers me when you tell me the actual 275. Number. 275. Uh, and is there like a 232 at the end? A 159. A oh, 159, of course. Throw that uh, in there. Any sense? Yeah, so that's, uh, no, no. I, oh, there might have been. I had to work it out, so there was, and I rounded up or down accordingly. I had to actually do the calculations because it's a percentage based on his uh, oh, on his base yeah. pay. Um, but it's like 70% or something on top of the base pay. Member for right. Port Darwin, Curbs. You make Curbs. <laughs> so, this is the bit I don't understand. Tell, tell us what you're going to say in the last question. All right, Paul, Paul Kirby. Paul Kirby, who recently announced his retirement from he's retiring from politics at August election, was pushed through his deputy speaker, which will now see him pay two hundred thousand one hundred and fifteen dollars for the role. So he was he was deposed as a minister and said, uh, "Stuff you guys, I quit. I'm out of here." That's right. And then they go, "Oh, geez, we haven't got anyone left. Uh, you mind doing the assistant speaker's <laughs> role for a while? You won't have to do anything. Yeah. We'll double your pay." Yeah. Well, yeah, they they added what was it? Yeah, thirty three thousand to his one sixty six. It was weird that 
He's resigned. He's clearly checked out. Yeah, he's a lame <laughs> duck. They've promoted yeah, him. Yeah, he's a lame duck. They've promoted yeah. him. Uh, yeah, because this role really, he won't be doing much. He has to take over while Duran has to go, you know, lay down and rest, yeah, rest his feet or whatever he does. I don't know. And <laughs> rest his vocal cords because he's on there. Now, guys, Let's now. Get a he's, bit, uh, um, he's very soft spoken. Now, order he, order here. I'm saying When order. he's not threatening someone. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So, look, the, those guys made out all right. They're making a lot of money now. Young got up and he said that he was honored to have the solemn duty bestowed upon me. It was almost like he was like, he, he almost started it by saying the Macquarie Dictionary defines democracy as, and the speaker's role as, it was so bad. It was so bad. Like he any said, sports person, I am humbled to take yeah, this he role. Said the role. The role of speaker embodies the very essence of democracy, fairness, impartiality, and inclusiveness, he said. It requires a commitment yeah. to upholding the principles that underpin our democratic processes. The irony of this man saying that it was That sounds like the um the thing that sounds like the declaration you have to read when you're taking the role. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I do solemnly swear to but, uphold democracy. Yeah, yeah, but he's already breached it, hasn't he? Like with his actions over <laughs> just the, the, the short time that yeah. he's been in parliament and the things he's done. He said this and he ended it with this. He said, I'm deeply thankful to my family and friends for their love and guidance has shaped me into the person I am today. I did read that, and I did have to raise an eyebrow thinking, so who is this person that's been raised today? Is this the um, allegedly attacking people outside Parliament House person that they raised you to be, or is this the softly spoken, newly elected speaker that they raised you to be? Or the, or, or the fraudster to who took taxpayer money <laughs> and... Well, the family that needs your home for Christmas, so you've got to use taxpayers' money to and get buying, like, remember, the, like, we don't know this for sure, but it looked like in some that it wasn't just fuel because he bought, like, 150 liters of fuel one day and 300 clicks down the track, he buys another $150 worth of stuff. <laughs> um, or, like, yeah, like, two months. So, you're thinking it's ice cream, eh? Slurpees. Yeah, and a big foam cowboy hat or something and the, like, little <laughs> thing with the ball on the end and, the you know, the string. And those truck stop sunglasses are quite expensive <laughs> yeah. too. So. Yeah, he just bought them all. That the, his family that were their Christmas gifts was everything that he picked up at fuel stations between here and New South Wales. Anyway, but he said that. But he said that he said uh, their love and guidance has shaped me into the person I am today. And I was thinking, oh, you know, that's not a good that you got to feel bad for the family and that. But the, here's the sad part that I was telling you about: his family was in attendance for this whole thing oh really so when the clp brought out all of his greatest hits in his short time in office they were all there oh, and sat yeah. through it all of course and then i'm thinking and then he says that and thanks to my family for turning me into the person i am i thought oh my god if i was his yeah. father i'd be i'd be like shaking my head and saying we're gonna have to have a talk here <laughs> then they're gonna have to listen to the family <laughs> yeah. you've turned into and, the person you've turned into because selena you both said hi to them or something oh and his family's here at the end when they were happy when they dragged them up to the chair and i think what he said oh, i feel i feel sad for him and i was like but but at the same time, it's funny that they had to sit through like the, a, a true and accurate assessment of the young man that they raised and what he became. I mean, this is a guy who, yeah. who dropped out of everything. He's never done anything. And somehow he's now the speaker. He's the second most important position in our parliament. Um, mm. Wow. If, wow. If anything, it is it is a bit of a, um, 
you know, an overarching sort of statement regarding the state of politics in oh, the NT. Yeah, yeah, pure Horatio Alger stuff, right? He picked himself up from his bootstraps and now he's a successful man. <laughs> like, he's an idiot. He's yeah. an idiot. He's, <laughs> anyway, Jesus Christ, yeah. That was the funny and the sad part, but uh, uh, mostly sad, I guess. But, you know, we got to keep our sense uh, of humor, like I said, Peyton. We sure do. And you're going to need your sense of humor for this next story too, Chris, because our friend, the uh, suspended Barkley mayor, is back in the news again. Um, and the police have come out just to let you know that just in case you were concerned, they are still <laughs> investigating, even though our good, fa- our good mate has moved into state despite being under investigation. Our good fat mate? <laughs> our good fat mate. Jeffrey Lebowski. I meant, I meant good friend <laughs> if I said fat. <laughs> yeah, but it, look, Pete, you're right. Uh, they are still investigating in case you were concerned. They're letting you know. They I got remember their back eye in on the him. day the police used to say, and don't leave town. Yeah, Obviously, yeah. don't say that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily, the anti-police's other motto is they always get their man. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, no, so, yeah, look, this is kind of, what are you checking in on them saying? Yeah, it's been quite a while since you charged the other guy who was putting the boot in the kid's face while McLaughlin said still working out there? Yeah. Um so, yeah, Merrick Jeffrey McLaughlin still being investigated by police for sitting on a child during a citizen's arrest more than five months after it happened and three months after a man who was threatening the same boy was charged with aggravated assault. Um, and then the ABC had reported this week that McLaughlin said he and his family had moved to interstate for their safety and will be responding to a government-ordered investigation into the running of the Barclay Council that was a legislative necessity once the council was suspended last October it meant amid administrative turmoil, and we've gone into great detail on that, Pete, and all the craziness there. Um, yeah. So, he had said, though, uh, Lebowski, what's his name? Um, uh, <laughs> McLaughlin. He had said, uh, my family has received threats since the footage was made public last year. Uh, talking about the video of the child, I'm currently working on the local government investigation, although being the subject of it, he, he said, I have no other obligation at this time. No, nothing to do but focus on him being investigated by the local government. Uh, anyway, he said, mm-hmm. I'll be back in Tennant Creek once the investigation is over. I intend to clear my name through the investigation. That sounds weird. I'll come back once it's over. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he's going to be exonerated, like I said, and we'll cheer him on and carry him on yeah. our shoulders around town. And, we're, yeah, we're heading down for that celebratory homecoming. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. Bring out big cowboy hats. Foam <laughs> yeah, cowboy. I don't think it's going to happen, Pete, unfortunately. But anyway, we'll see. Look, he's not guilty of anything until he's proven guilty. But, of course, remember, he's got the other charges mm. for driving under the influence. It was a council car that he was yeah, using yeah. and all of that stuff. Um uh, and did he have possession? You know, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff here. Um, anyway, we know yeah. how dysfunctional that was, uh, where, uh, it was so dysfunctional, Pete. Is it, how dysfunctional was it? As well, it's so dysfunctional. The Chancey Pake had to come in yes. and take action that these guys were so bad. Mm. Um, it tells you something. Yeah. So now keeping in mind, remember, he's saying now I've got no other obligations. I got a bunch of free time. I'm going to focus on the investigation <laughs> into my conduct 
I've decided I'll be a part-time sleuth. Yeah. However, the Indiana Benham previously reported that the lawyer appointed to investigate the counsel, Ruth Morley, told a former employee that she has been excluded from examining code of conduct complaints against elected members, including the mayor. Uh, uh, yeah, so how is he going to clean up, clear his name if they can't even, you know, this is the kind of bullshit that these guys get away with. And then they say, oh, look, the report didn't say I did anything wrong. So my name is clean. I'm vindicated. And it's like, well, wait a second. Mm. No, she was excluded from examining code of conduct complaints against you. Yeah. And, uh, and the chief former, executive officer. Yeah. yeah. Who were the two accused? Emma of- Bradbury. Yeah. Of... Of all kinds um, of stuff. What was it? Despite des- des- serious allegations, yeah. bullying, So, what's the point of having the stupid investigation? <laughs> we don't know. That's the thing. And, and you know, there was already an investigation, remember, that independent one that was done by that Melbourne legal yeah, firm, yeah. and that was never made public, but Pake saw it and moved on them. Um, Decided to have another yeah. one. So, the investigator is going to investigate the investigation. That's right. It will, well, not investigating the people who are the subject of the investigation, Pete. Perps. I think that's all very clear. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. It's good use of taxpayers' money. But just that, yeah. The other thing, just so people remember, allegations of bullying, harassment, mismanagement, uh, including the bungled handling of a sexual harassment complaint made by a young indigenous woman. Uh, involving counsel. Like, yeah. this is so weird. Now, yeah, of course, McLaughlin and Bradbury have done nothing wrong or they've denied any wrongdoing. Uh, and who knows mm. when anything will be proven or found out. But, um, yeah, we know about the videos. Anyway, we'll see. That's just kind of the the update on that issue right now. But you would think that the charges right. may, I if the police are still investigating why he was sitting on that child and whether or not there's anything you would think they haven't closed it, they haven't cleared him or anything and they have charged the other yep. guy. So I guess we'll wait and see, but they really should be moving quicker on this for everybody's sake. They should. They're just trying to figure out what charge is that you get for sitting on a child. Child sitting. Um, and <laughs> forcibly restraining them by sitting on them. <laughs> so the, the upshot of that is that the investigation is underway with the police and the uh, now suspended mayor of the Barclay Regional Council is undertaking his own investigation. So um, like, like we've seen previously with the NT government, he's going to investigate his own behaviour and see how we go. <laughs> And he might as well, man. Like, that's it. He might as well just turn into a private detective or something. Like, this guy's just <laughs> he's, he's a character, right? But, um, yeah, but he's done some stuff that he shouldn't have done here. But, um, anyway, mm. we will see as we sit back and wait. But, um, anyway, he's right. gone. I think he shows up, like I was telling you the other day. I think he, he does some rock and roll shows. He's a rock and roll dude. Shows up for gigs on Friday. <laughs> yeah, the dude abides, man. The dude shows up for gigs and darn when he flies in from wherever he is interstate, apparently. I wonder if he's in disguise when he does it. <laughs> <laughs> little mustache and uh, hair and a ponytail. Oh, dreads, <laughs> yeah. the anyway, I don't know. I don't. Um, Only in the NT, this one. but uh, Exactly. Yeah. Speaking of only in the NT, Chris, we've got two, actually, we've got three bugger off massive solar power stations sitting around doing absolutely sweet bugger yep. all. Why is this going <laughs> but on? But I'm pretty sure it's costing us a lot of money, too. Well, it's of doing course. nothing, right? Would yeah, you yeah. expect anything less here? Absolutely. Uh, I'm pretty sure that money's borrowed, too. Yeah, yeah. So, um, three solar power stations built four years ago were, in fact, finally connected to the grid 
you'll be happy to hear, Pete. Good job. Uh, But two of them are still unable to generate power to the grid, with the other one providing only 25% of its capacity. Now, this comes while the Lawler government will not say when they will be operating at full capacity. And they also will not say today, this was kind of refreshed today, uh, if it is the government in talks to purchase these solar farms. Now, that's something that came up today because of what's gone on. But I'll I'll explain here. So, so Sky News, I think it was Cunningham who had the story first earlier in the week. Uh, about how the solar power stations at Mandam, Bachelor, and Catherine were connected to the Darwin-Catherine electricity grid late last year, but two were not providing any power while the other was running at just a quarter of capacity. The reports of the pro- the problem, and we, we knew this, and I think we talked about this not too long ago, was the grid was unable to handle the intermittent power supply and that the company that owns the power station, Italian business ENI, had been told by the government to resolve the issue. Another solar plant, a bachelor, which is owned by Melbourne-based Merit Capital, uh, uh, well, one of them is, but it's unclear if that one is connected. Uh, the Renew Economy website reported that Alan Langworthy, now Langworthy was the guy who chaired the government's 2017 report into the renewable target. He said yeah. there's no other grid system in the world that has the same restrictions on connecting solar power to the network. It's a ridiculous situation, he said, that is prohibiting any dispatch of medium to large scale renewables to the grid. So, Langworthy had said uh, last August that the solar producers were being stifled by new standards brought in by the Utilities Commission after the solar farms were built in 2020, which meant the companies have to cover the costs of battery storage, monitoring, and capacity forecasting. So they put Mm -hmm. the costs on those companies to do this. Uh, He said those generator performance standards are demanding a very high level and in many ways an unrealistic level of control. He said it means those solar farms have to put in large batteries to be able to meet the generator performance standards. And that is just unrealistic because of the expense. Yeah. So the COP today, and I'm not sure, you know, apropos of what, they um, just (laughs) started asking the chief minister if the government was in talks to purchase these three solar farms. But Lawler replied, these aren't questions for us to be discussing here. Okay. Interesting. So think about that. That sounds to me like the government is now in a process where they're going to buy out these things. But even then, they can't do it, right? The Utilities Commission report had showed that they hadn't done upgrades for years, which meant that they, they can't connect this stuff to the grid, that yeah. it would collapse the entire system. Um so, yeah, the COP had said it was only last August when the Labour government opened EOIs for more solar farms, despite clearly having no plan to fix the issues with the reliability of the grid, which have present, uh, has prevented connection of the three current solar farms. Evil Lawler might not want to answer questions about buying these farms publicly, but I know Territorians will think very differently about not knowing exactly how their taxpayer dollars are spent. Questions on notice. What was it? Uh, so there was another report that uh, the 2021 submission in the in a 2021 submission to the Utilities Commissioner ENI said the plants had remained unconnected because of quote onerous, unprecedented, and indefensible requirements. Uh, questions on notice from March of last year show Power and Water put out a tender for a consultant to provide advice 
on how to connect the three stations to the grid. A contract the authority estimated would cost $990,000. you would think they would have already figured that out before they built the damn place. Yeah, and I, I, yeah and, but they got somebody. They wanted to hire a consultant to tell them how to do it. Way after it was built, you're right. Um, the, the tender closed in May. However, it appears not to have been awarded to anyone. Um, right. So we're saving some money there. Um, yeah, look. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, we are and we aren't. We no, yeah, I know. It's useless power. Yeah, exactly. And, and we're paying for them and they're costing us. And uh, mm. anyway, Lawler admitted, she said uh, that there were power fluctuations, but that uh, that would be dealt with by solar power producers. Solar farms need to have that information going into system control. So they can look for alternatives in relation to the fluctuations. She said this issue simply needs sensible risk management and finding a way to manage any risk around that. I'm uh, not sure uh, that's. Um, I love it when we get told the bleeding obvious and they just regurgitate some crap that some, you know. Power and water staff handler. told them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some, some A4 thing that came off the facts earlier that day. It's really, it's really crazy. Uh, Kate Warden was asked yeah. by Sky uh, when the power plants would be fully functioning this week. She said, "Yeah, we can't rush processes around this. Um, <laughs> we need the warranties to run out before we yeah, do." Yeah, now they really should because they should be rushing this because the government was warned. But here's the thing: they they have to now. Kind of, they were warned years ago that there were going to be power system blackouts um, mm. if they did not spend a significant amount of money on storage and better managing the power system, the grid, to equip it for renewable generation. Uh, amid the, cl- the planned closure of large gas generators at Channel Island, and this was the takeaway and the quote from that report, should a solution or solutions not be delivered in time, to address the expected retirement of 185 megawatts of generation capacity at the Channel Island power station, uh, equivalent to 47% of the current generation summer capacity in the Darwin Catherine power system, customer demand may not be met within four years, 2027-20. But I remember reading that report and they had things in there saying, we told you about this, you know, five years ago and we're saying it again now, do something. And they're just getting yeah, closer yeah, exactly. and closer to the complete collapse of the electricity grid here, where these blackouts that we've been experiencing lately are going to be more frequent and last longer. Mm. And, uh, yeah, we're in, we're in trouble here. Big trouble. Well, you listen to people from South Africa, Chris, and they have it on a daily basis, mm. and it's just rolling blackouts the whole yeah, time. Yeah. So, that is not something that we want and not something that we'd be looking forward to. So, they need to sort it Yeah, out. you're right, people. Look, this seems to be another issue where this government is just shown not to have taken any action on anything in the past yeah, eight years, yeah. seven and a half years, yep. because they thought, well, we can just coast like the CLP did for four years there. So yeah, things were yeah. better then. Things were starting to collapse then. And now it's just mm. really cratered because this government has not shown leadership in any way to address mm. any of the problems that, that we face right now. It's just ridiculous. Mm, very true. Uh, however, the, Government has pushed some new building laws through, Chris, uh, in order to counteract dodgy contractors. Yeah, Pete, this is kind of, you know, in relation to those matters that we had talked about uh, a couple of years ago in relation to the slabs on the buildings not being safe. Yeah. What was it? Nine, nine buildings yeah. across Darwin Palmerston. It was like 200 units affected. Um, and then yeah. let's not forget the, the dodgy issues at, at <laughs> Bellamac either. 
Um, Correct. So the government, you know, put out whatever they were doing, a review. So now they've passed amendments to the Building Act years later after these unsafe homes and units were discovered um, that the government says will improve safety and boost consumer confidence. But the opposition rejected the legislation, saying it lacked detail and raised the potential of underqualified or conflicted people uh, coming into controlling building registration. Uh, and essentially, so that's it. The new rules will, will introduce registration for commercial building contractors, as well as the potential for a future, quote, continuing professional development scheme for contractors, building certifiers, certifying engineers and certifying plumbers. The government said the registration of building practitioners involved in building design, construction and maintenance were key recommendations from the nationally supported building confidence report. Uh, changes to the building legislation will be rolled out in two stages. Stage one will involve a 12-month grandfathering transition phase that will enable eligible building contractors to get a commercial registration, quote, without meeting qualification requirements. Mm. Uh, the second stage will see legal requirements mandating that building practitioners must be registered commercial builders to perform new commercial building work. Um, Joel Bowden is the infrastructure minister, if you recall. Yep. He says, uh, this legislation ensures the building contractors have the appropriate qualifications, which is very important. We want that. We want to see that. Uh, In 2024, uh, it's hard to believe that we haven't had these <laughs> <Yeah>. earlier. <laughs> I know. Um, and experience yet yeah, to build specific buildings and provides for the continuing professional development of our local practitioners. Well, I clearly said at the end of the release that that would be later on down the road. But I guess he's trying to take credit <laughs> for that now, that they'll have continuing mm. professional development. Uh, no. um, One of the things they could do is spend some time at a TIO stadium and see if they can fix <laughs> that up for us. That could be their ongoing yeah, little project. Education. Yeah, and you learn and they fix them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, this legislation strengthens protections and aligns our building industry with national standards, which, uh, again, to your point, 2024, mm. here we are. That'd be nice. Yeah. Uh, the opposition CLP voted against the reforms in Parliament and opposed uh, opposed them, especially regarding the relevant experience of those responsible for granting builder registration. So they've got an issue with this this right. part. <laughs> they said the current proposal may allow individuals without suitable experience or potentially conflicting interest. To control building uh, registration, Gerard Malley said, said the CLP had consulted with industry and that they all want to see an independent building commissioner established reporting to the infrastructure minister. He said mm -hmm. this approach addresses the conflict of interest inherent in having the practitioner's board grant builder registration, as well as the potential lack of relevant experience among its members. The COP supports the concept of builder's registration and the integration of the professional development stuff. Uh, however, any model must have the backing of the industry to instill confidence among local builders. The establishment of an independent building commissioner is critical to ensuring timely and impartial decision-making. Now, those are comments echoed by Master Builders NT, 
who this week mm. their chief executive had written something in the NT News calling again too for a independent building commissioner to yeah. have oversight of this stuff. I mean, yeah, I mean, look, I think that we have, we, we have somebody, the building controller, who should be independent and be able to do things he's not. And we know the issues yeah. at Bellamac. We know the issues in Darren Palmerston, and you're very right to bring yeah. up DIO, longstanding issue, and then, then possibly all these other government buildings that Riches and his mates say are... What was it, 300 yeah, buildings yeah. that are not, they don't have the proper <laughs> certification, but we'll get to it yeah. eventually. Um, yeah, this is, uh, I guess, look, if you're, if you're looking at the, I, I can just tell by the way they wrote that press release, this is too little. This doesn't go far enough to address real concerns. Mm. And, you know, the CLP will bring up their issues, but you can tell right away in that thing that that's, that this is not enough. This is something, one, that continuing development way off. And two is this registration, which looks good. But yeah, if we don't have somebody properly gauging it, I'm yeah, and overseeing it, yeah. how that'll go, that's um, yeah. that's going to be an issue. And and we do know that there were issues with the building practitioner board, and there are conflicts of interest that come in Starwin. Um, of course, yeah. I, uh, I I do note with interest though that CLP have been very negative this week, voting everything down, not voting for the speaker, <laughs> not voting for this legislation. They're really on a negative nearly week. Anyway, we know why. Um, Chris, we normally try and have our final story to be something a little upbeat, maybe a little quirky, or something that, uh, you know, will raise an eyebrow, half a smirk. This story doesn't cover any of those, but we thought it was uh, timely just to mention uh, the existence of meliodosis, as a landscaper has uh, contracted mm-hmm. this illness. Mm-hmm. Um, and businesses are being warned of its existence due to the increase uh, in heavy rains. Yeah, Pete, yeah, it's um, not good. And we know that deadly soil-borne disease meliodosis is out there, but apparently it is, you know, with these heavy rains we've been having where, you know, the mm. water stays up and then it goes and pushes the, the, this up. And uh, apparently on uh, January 23rd, a worker with a Darwin landscaping company was diagnosed with the disease. Uh, and uh, so that's kind of brought this out. Now, they don't know where he got it because uh, due to the, the delay in symptoms, um, uh. the exact location where the worker may have contracted the disease cannot be confirmed. Um, but I thought you were going to say because he wasn't cooperating. Happened out in Bomberson somewhere. <laughs> Um, yeah, and the hospital wasn't saying nothing either when he came in with us. <laughs> right. He was cruising down Dillon Circuit next to you. Know. <laughs> he had meliodosis. <laughs> he goes to the hospital and they kept it quiet. Meliodosis and a bit of lead poisoning. <laughs> Uh, we're going to have more on that. I know you're referencing so people know that story a few weeks back where someone was just driving down the street and got shot through their car, apparently, <laughs> in Palmerston, in gray. Um, and no one knows Yeah, nothing. and then the, the, yeah, the police didn't know about it. Nobody reported it. I think Woody's going to have more on that soon, and it's funny. It's like uh, the guy with the guy called in the Katie Wolf apparently, and he said, "Hey, I was just waiting for a mate, and the bullet comes through the guy." And I'm like, "Why are you shot, sir? I was, I'm just waiting for a mate." Um, yeah, no, that's 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 grounds enough to get shot down there. <laughs> anyway, the um, 
Yeah, that, that we'll, we'll have more on that, Pete. But this one, so back to this, it was a landscaping worker completing gardening work just days before being diagnosed, but there was a delay in symptoms, so they don't know where. Uh, yeah, he's undergoing intravenous antibiotics now. This is pretty serious stuff. Mm. Like, this can, this can yeah, kill yeah. you. Um, We're not making fun of him either, by the way, because um, it is deadly. Absolutely, it is, yeah. And so mm. they say that once you start feeling these symptoms, you got to contact them get out there on average around 50 cases of meliodosis are reported in the nt annually vast majority of those diagnosed between november and april uh and we know that it's going now and i I just trying to find what happened because last week they put out something data from nt health shows that 22 cases including the two deaths were reported since october so we've had two people die oh wow Uh, yeah, so okay. the department expects cases to continue to rise throughout this wet season, which we know has been a, a very uh, yeah wet wet season. Good for the dams, yep. and that it is important for anyone experiencing symptoms of meliodosis to get medical attention early. Um, mm. Yeah, so uh, hopefully that happens. Um, so any green thumbs who might be out in the garden, put your gloves on. Yeah. Yeah, be careful. Be really careful. Yeah, here. be very yeah. careful. All right, Chris, I'm going to get you to hold there for me, please, for a moment. And now, it's time for the job files, thanks to no one in particular. Yes, and uh, not unexpectedly, the uh, segment is still without a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> But I think we decided we didn't want a sponsor a while ago. So. We don't want to sell out, hey, man. Um, you don't want to sell out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're going to stick to our traditional values. That's real. That's it. Well, this week's Job Files, F-I-L-E-S, Job of the Week, relates to the marketing sphere as it always does. Yay. I'll tell you what I did. I popped up this job where it came into my, uh, into my emails during the week for Air North and a digital marketing specialist. And I thought, oh, this is really interesting. Like the job's all the things you'd expect it to be. And I'm not going to read out the details of it like I normally do. But you can imagine the sorts of things that a digital marketing specialist is going to need to at do. At Air North. But I know at Air North, yeah, promote the airline. <laughs> but the, the thing that I noticed was there was no money listed on the job. Uh. So I went into Seek and I put in... Um, you can have, I think it's maximum up to $350,000 a year or something like that. But then I thought I'll put the minimum to try and find out the sort of range that they're offering. And it, it appears as though the salary range is about between $80,000 and $100,000. And I thought that's not going to get it done, you guys. So I went into the marketing category and I did a separate search and I just brought up like marketing managers or communications or digital marketing managers and I scrolled through and what I found was the disparity between the government jobs and the private sector and and then the NGOs. So the first job that came up was for a communications and marketing manager at the gallery which we read last week or the week before with that that's paying $110,000 per year plus super. Then The next job was a marketing and communications officer at Relationships NT, paying $93,000 to $98,000. Relationships NT? What the hell is that? It's a matchmaking company? uh, The good news is if you don't know, then 
it means that your relationship's probably on solid okay, ground. Wow, okay, good, good. That's, that's so let's not good. go there. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's that's just breaking news for you. <laughs> so, City Council, City of Darwin are looking for a marketing manager, communication and engagement person. They're paying one hundred and thirty-five thousand oh, wow. plus superannuation. Yeah. Okay, that's better. Uh, now. Uh, Delaware North looking for an advertising and social media specialist at the casino. Yeah, so. Looks like they're paying between eighty to a hundred thousand. <laughs> That's not going to get it done, boys and girls. Yeah. Then step into the big time. A senior media officer <laughs> at the NT Department, Department of, of Health, Health. Okay. Yeah. is paying a hundred and thirty thousand to a hundred and forty thousand. Wow. Wow. And then uh, AANT, looking for a media and communications officer, they're paying a lowly eighty to 100000 with the master builders looking for an events and communications manager paying a hundred to 110000 a year mm. plus super. So what it tells me, what we've always said, there's the disparity between the private sector and the government or the NGOs, the private sector just can't keep up. Yep. yep. No, I think that, that was a great little breakdown. That shows everything. That was Thanks. perfect. Yeah. That's what we've yeah. talked about well, for a while, and now we're seeing that happen. Yeah. I certainly didn't set out to do that because normally I just read a job and we have a bit of fun with it. But I thought when I when I had to go searching for what the salary was, this whole breakdown sat in front of me. And I thought, oh, God, this is, this is even better than just reading a normal job of the week. Yeah. Yeah, and look, uh, I think, yeah, addressing that disparity is crucial to getting people here. That's something that the government needs to be looking at. And I know I was telling yep. you and Leon that uh, Eva Lawler had said in her in her year ahead speech um, that no one remembers now at this point in the week. But <laughs> it's not jobs. <laughs> it was discounted. Yeah, she said, it's not jobs, jobs, jobs anymore. She said, we've got jobs. We just need people filling those jobs. And she yeah. got into things, and we talked about that on the other podcast. But um I think that that's really the problem when you go and you talk to businesses is just they need people so desperately. Yeah. And uh, if the government's going to compete with them like that, they're not going to get them. We're not going to the economy's not going to move ahead. They've got to start looking at these kind of yeah. things. And how do you solve that? How do you resolve that and make it fair and get people here? That's what we need for private jobs, too, not just anti-government jobs. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. But the, the disparity has been in place now for a couple of years. How you fix that, I don't know, because the private sector aren't going to suddenly be able to pay no. 20, 30, 40% exactly, more. Exactly, because they're struggling. It's like a whole cyclical thing, yeah. but this is this is yeah, something yeah. that needs to be addressed. It does, and it's uh, far too big to address it on this episode. But uh, <laughs> We'll bring it up again I, uh, sometime. I'm sure it'll uh, No but, doubt. Yep. All right, mate. I look forward to catching you next week. Great. Thanks, people. We'll see you then. That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent. Weekends with Walshy back again next week on the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. In the meantime, have yourself a great week and we'll catch you then. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition with Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. For more episodes, go to all your favorite podcasting platforms or head to territorystory.com.